You're on the panel on RNZ National. Just an update, State Highway 33 is currently under stop-go traffic management due to a slip near Maniatutu Road close to Orkiri Falls. Expect some delays and pass with care. And Fakatani District Council says some roads may need to close overnight after heavy rain caused slips in Eastern Bay of Plenty. The three inland communities of Ruatoki, Awaho and Taniatua are cut off. The council's Alexandra Pickle says contractors are working on repairs and clearing the roads. So just for an update, we have Fakatani Mayor Victor Luca with us. Kia ora, Victor. Uh, kia ora, how are you? Good, thank you. How has the Fakatani district fared so far? I think in the scheme of things, we're doing okay. I mean, uh, well, compared to what's happened in the recent past, uh, what mm. we're experiencing is relatively minor. Um, been lots of precipitation, as you well, listeners probably already know, and there's lots of surface water around the ground is pretty saturated. Um, what happens next, I guess, depends on what the weather throws at us. Yeah, and uh, but that, that that water saturation, sorry, that saturation of the ground can lead to um, a bit of movement, can't it? Have been been many slips. Well, certainly can, yeah. There have been a few uh, relatively small slips that you just, um, in your uh, uh, news article, your recent one, you talked about um, some road closures due to slips and a couple or three actual communities have been isolated, Taniato, Awaho and Ruatoki. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and what about those uh, river levels uh, there, Victor? Uh, well, I've been looking at the Whakatani River level quite uh, intensely and we've seemed to have peaked at 6.4 metres. Um, well, it's, you know, plateaued off and it's starting to drop off and we haven't had any rain, at least in the area where I am, uh, for a few hours now. So the all-time record for the Whakatani River uh, is, was reached at 8.4 metres in 2017. So we're still quite a ways off that. Um you know, we're watching it intensely, put it that way. Yeah, well, thanks for the update, Victor, and we'll um, keep in touch across RNZ. That's Victor Luca, the Whakatane, uh Mayor there. It's ten past for the panel. Connor English, Verity Johnson with me. In a somewhat shocked move, Customs Minister Mecca Faiteri has confirmed she has quit Labour ahead of the upcoming election. Faiteri will remain an MP as an independent. Speaker Adrian Ruafe says Faiteri announced the move at Waitapu Marae in Hastings. Mecca told attendees Māori political activism is part of their whakapapa and Māori have a responsibility to it. Today I'm acknowledging that whakapapa. I'm acknowledging my responsibility to it and it's calling me home. The decision to cross the floor is not an easy one, but it's the right one. And Mika Faiteri commanded a comfortable margin in the last election. Deputy Prime Minister Carmel Cipollone confirmed Faiteri has had her ministerial responsibilities removed. And with us is Morgan Godfrey, a lecturer, political commentator in Māori politics and otherwise. Morgan, kia ora. Tēnā kia ora, Wallace. Yeah, uh, good to have you here, Morgan. Now, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins, he was <laughs> certainly blindsided. Anyone see this coming? <laughs> I think uh, uh, the euphemism you use at the, the open there has been somewhat shocking. Uh, I think it was completely shocking. I think the voters of Ikaro Rafferty will probably be left scratching their heads 
because it's not much clearer today why Mika Faitidi left yeah. than it was last night when she first, or when the news first broke, uh, that this was what she intended to do. Uh, because of this morning's uh, live stream, uh, she didn't go into uh, great detail about whether there was any particular trigger. So if you look back or you remember back to uh, when Tariana Turia left the Labour Party back in 2004, uh, there was a very definite trigger there. There was a very definite ideological and issues-based divide, and that was the Foreshore and Seabed Act. But when you look at Mecca's reasoning this morning, there isn't quite that same uh, trigger. So that, for that reason, I think a lot of people outside of Ikaro Rafiti as well, which is her electorate, will probably be left scratching their head as to why this has happened. I'm wondering, Morgan, we'll have panellists will have a view. I'm wondering if uh, uh, Faitiri mentioned the, that, that word of a homecoming. Uh, maybe after a while, there's been a couple of controversies in the past, hadn't there? Maybe there was some um, uh, unease around that. Um, somewhat of a homecoming where she thought she could do better um, outside of Labour. It's a difficult tension to reconcile, yeah. probably for her and probably for most. Uh, Māori members of parliament is uh, do you stay in the government or do you hold on to your ministerial warrant which is what uh, Mika Whaiteri had uh, and make all the compromises that are required of you because as a minister or uh, even a member of parliament who's not a minister uh, you have to make all kinds of compromises between different interest groups and even within your own party and your own government so the tension really is do you Settle for that, settle or recognise that you'll have to make those compromises or is there another way uh, and is that other way through the Māori Party? And this, if you look back um, in the last uh, 80 years, this isn't particularly unusual. So Edoueta Tirukatane in the first Labour government was always at loggerheads with uh, Peter Fraser, the Prime Minister at the time. Um, certainly Matsudata was at loggerheads with Mr Kirk and Mr Rowling in his day. Uh, Koro Wetere was always at loggerheads uh, with Longi in his time as well. Uh, and then on and on it goes. It's probably only a recent innovation, though, uh, that these Labour MPs who have been at loggerheads with their leaders or with their party uh, have actually made the decision to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Machudata took you know, a number of decades between Machudata and Tariana Turia for those, uh, those two respective MPs to leave the Labour Party. Yeah, Verity Johnson, what a view. Question here for Morgan, thought? Yeah, kia ora, Morgan. Um, I'm just wondering, look, and just explain this to me as somebody who is a little bit of a layman when it comes to politics and stuff. Um, How much difference does this actually make to the upcoming elections? I don't know in, like, real terms how big an impact this event is. Can you you explain, elucidate? Uh, There's a little bit of controversy around... Uh, how MMP works in respect of the Māori Party. So what has happened in the past is that the Māori Party has sometimes won more electorate seats than its party vote has entitled it to, uh, and that creates what's called an overhang in Parliament, which gives the Māori Party comparatively uh, more power than they otherwise might have had. So the more electorate seats that the Māori Party wins, or Te Pāti Māori rather, uh, wins, uh, the comparatively more powerful they will uh, become or their leverage increases post-election. Uh, and so it's an attractive thing for the Te Pāti Māori leadership uh, to have a sitting Māori electorate MP uh, who probably has the odds-on chance of retaining her seat uh, at the October election, assuming that there's not enough time for Labour to field uh, mm. a credible candidate. OK, Connor. 
Uh, yeah, look, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you look at it sort of objectively, both Labor and the Maori Party are both better off after this change. Uh, the Maori Party's certainly better off because it's got, you know, another sitting MP, <clears throat> which gives them access to resources and, um, you know, they'll get more visibility. Uh, I, th- I think John Tamahiri will be extremely happy because he'll be looking to get more Labor uh, Maori MPs to come across, uh, and it's interesting they've managed to get a, get around or sidestep the, the Walker jumping um, legislation. And Labor's better off because their you know, coalition partner is going to be a lot stronger at the next election. So I think both Labor and the Maori Party have won, despite everyone saying that they're surprised about it all. Um, it's a good outcome for them and not a good outcome for for the other you know, opposition uh, parties or the Greens. So you, you could you yeah. could easily see well you, I think you probably will see the Mary Party being holding the balance of power now. Interesting view, Morgan. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It puts Te Pāti Māori in a comparatively stronger position, which Labour isn't necessarily going to dislike uh, because there are certainly more uh, areas where the Labour Party and Te Pāti Māori can work together than there are uh, where the National Party and Te Pāti Māori can work together. I, we saw that this morning on RNZ when. Uh, Chris Lutzen, National Party leader, said that uh, for all intents and purposes, the Labour Greens to Party Māori, uh, that is a block, and then on the other side is National NAP. Yeah, I think the risk for Labour is that there might be more Maori MPs in their caucus who might go, look, I could have a better chance uh, of being high up in Cabinet if I move to the Maori Party and be part of the negotiations and who's going to be government than if I stay in the Labour Party at whatever my current status is. So it's, will this be the start of an avalanche, or will this be it in terms of uh, Maori MPs okay. moving to the Labour uh, F- moving to the Ma- final, Maori Party? Final uh, thought, uh, Morgan Godfrey. Uh, one of the interesting uh, tidbits of news that uh, I think was Jonathan Milnbrook today was uh, Louisa Wall is also considering uh, standing for Te Pāti Māori. And, uh, many people will recognise that name as a former... Labour Party MP as well. So the door is definitely open. Interesting, really interesting days, isn't it, Morgan? Good to have you on the programme again. Kia ora. Uh, that's uh, Morgan Godfrey there, lecturer and uh, political commentator. It is 18 past four. You are on the panel, RNZ National. Australia is to heavily regulate vaping and made pharmacy only under new rules. Non-prescription vapes will be banned from importation and will only be sold in pharmacies in pharmaceutical-like packaging. Certain flavours, colours and other ingredients banned. All single-use disposable vapes banned. New Zealand has not indicated that will be following suit but should it? Latest data here shows a higher proportion of Year 10 students vape daily than adults. Professor Simon Chapman, no relation, is Emeritus Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney. Professor Chapman, very good to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Wallace. This is a pretty big crackdown on vaping. Is it warranted? Yeah, well, look, Australian governments don't muck around when it comes to tobacco control. We were one of the first to ban advertising. Um, we were one of the, of course, the first to do plain packaging. And uh, we're the first to um, legislate for only availability through pharmacies. Um, we, like a lot of countries, are seeing a huge increase in uh, young people vaping. 
Um, old people tend not to do it at all. About one in 70 uh, people oh. of my age have uh, have ever vaped, but um, down the other end, uh, it's sort of over 30% have, have tried it, and quite a lot of people are doing it very, very regularly. Yeah, your health minister, Mark Butler, said that it had become the number one behaviour issue in schools and a growing issue in primary schools. Uh, pretty significant uh, youth uh, issue. And here, you know, just around the corner from my house, uh, up in the little wee, um, village area there, a new vape shop. They're everywhere these days. I mean, vaping was sold to governments, um, Simon, and to communities around the world as a therapeutic product to help long-term smokers quit. Now, that was the main issue. Has that goal been achieved? Well, look, um, it was said to be as disruptive as digital cameras were to film cameras. You know, all of those kind of analogies were used about it. And so if you believe the hype, you would have seen smoking uh, absolutely, you know, plummeting down. Now, that hasn't happened. If you look at the slope of the decrease in smoking uh, that's happened in countries like New Zealand, Australia, Canada, uh, United States, United Kingdom, um, pretty much equivalent, small differences between the two, but nothing revolutionary that you would think, ah, those, those Stage, uh, those countries which have let it rip, they're doing much better. Uh, in fact, there are many reports coming out saying that, well, um, smoking, you know, smoking cessation through uh, through vaping, is only marginally better no, no. than Professor some of the other Chapman, ways. Professor our, I understand, New Zealand's smoking rates have declined uh, amongst some uh, less Māori and Pacifica, but have declined significantly. Yeah, that they have, uh, and that's uh, on the basis of one years of, of data. So, you know, we're all waiting, uh, hopefully, I guess, to see whether that d- decline is an aberration or is it a, is a start of something that's going to continue down. But uh, Australia's down 10% uh, people who are smoking daily, and uh, that's not dissimilar to what's happening in countries like Canada, United States, England. I think New Zealand is is, is less than that now, if I'm not wrong. I I will check on that, uh, Professor Tappen. I have a uh, uh, I have a sense that our smoking rate has declined far much more than that. We will check up on that. We'll come back to it. But anyway, to vaping, Verity. Kia ora, Simon. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. There's been a lot of stuff I've been reading about how big tobacco has been really heavily involved in vaping and how I think like um, lots of the stuff coming out of America is basically saying that this is now being a bit of a bait and switch tactic for big tobacco who have bought heavily into vaping as a way of like, you know, just continuing their legacy of death and destruction. Um, so I'm just curious, like, is this vaping and the sort of the onslaught of popularity, is this in fact just a reincarnation of all the big tobacco companies? Well, you're absolutely right. All the big tobacco companies invested very, very significantly in vaping. And the reason for that is that all around the world, except in countries where they have very little tobacco control, is that smoking is going down. And it's going to be the death of the tobacco industry unless they did something about it within a generation or two. So, um, probably addictive vapes... Uh, an obvious way that they can sort of get a new customer base and that new customer base comes predominantly from people now uh, every single one of those companies um, have fought tooth and nail to try and stop uh, the prescription model they, they really don't want to see these products locked up 
uh, through a me- mediation from a doctor, you know, with a with a pharmacist. They want what they call a consumer model, where they can be sold as freely as any kind of grocery item. And um, in New Zealand, you know, uh, six months or so, a magnificent program of actually reducing the number of tobacco outlets around the country radically. And it'll be very interesting to see whether people over there will, will you know, follow what um, our minister has now done with uh, the prescription okay. thing because it's not, a, it's not a ban. You know, you can, if you want to keep vaping, you can go and see your doctor and get a prescription and go and get it. Just more tightly regulated. All right, uh, Simon, stay there and maybe turn your head a bit so I can get a slightly clearer uh, line from you. Uh, Connor English, let's let bring you in. Yeah, look, <clears throat> the the thing about vaping that I didn't realise until one of our um, children cut his hand very badly and was getting a, a very um, uh, tricky operation, and the surgeon asked him, you know, did he um, did he vape or smoke? And he said no, and, and we asked him why he said that, and he says, well... With the vaping, the nicotine affects the capillaries and it um, constricts the capillaries. And so his chances of recovery <clears throat> would have been less if he'd been a vapor. And I just had no idea about that. And, and the vaping thing, that, as I understand it, has got very high levels of nicotine, far higher than a cigarette. And our kids, a lot of their mates all vape. Uh, but you're right, none of my mates vape much. So um, I think maybe the Australians are onto, onto something that's useful. One, can I just bring, Simon, can I just bring this up? Because our health minister said that compared to tobacco, there was limited evidence of the long-term health impacts of vaping. I hear what Connor's saying there, but that it was clearly addictive. I mean, it could be worse. We could all be still smoking cigarettes. The head-to-head comparison, you know, are vapes as dangerous or less dangerous than uh, than smoking? Um there is a figure that's been around now since about 2013 saying 95% less dangerous. You look into the providence of that, that number, as I've done, other people have done, published critiques of it. It's actually a made-up number that a group of people in a room sort of said, oh, yeah, let, I'd say about 95% less dangerous. There is no workings, no no mathematics, arithmetic that goes behind that. It's just people taking a bit of a stab in the air. And that was, you know, years ago when we had literally no data uh, about what the effects of vaping might be. Now, the the obvious comparison is with when did we find out that smoking was dangerous? It became a mass phenomenon at the beginning of last century when they started making them in factories rather than hand-rolling them. And it really wasn't until the late 1930s when we started seeing uh, significant numbers of uh, lung cancer started to come, you know, to the attention of the medical profession. Right. And uh, by about the 1950s, it became, lung cancer became the leading cause of cancer death. So the latency period between, you know, when you take up uh, something which might be toxic and when you start seeing the effects of it, uh, can be 40, 50 years oh, long. I see. Same with asbestos, for example. Okay, yeah, understood, uh, Professor Chapman. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. That's uh, Professor Simon Chapman there, Emeritus Professor of Public Health at uh, the University of Sydney. Uh, I would love to hear from you um, about whether or not you vape, you have vaped. Did it help you give it smoking around the panel briefly before we go on to the next topic? Vaped? 
ever, Verity? No, nope, never. Connor English? No. All right. 27 past for the panel. I wanted to raise this with the panel. If you've been to Levin, the home of Carlos Spencer, you'll be familiar with the avenue of giant trees on the main street Levin. Planted in 1897 to commemorate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, well, these giants could be facing the chop. The Hotofenua District Council wants to remove several of the 120-year-old notable London planes because they're damaging local businesses, grind the stumps below the level of the asphalt, then resealed and converted back into car parks by accounts. And I wanted to bring this up because, Conor English, you go to some of these uh, small regional towns mm. and the beauty beholden by the avenue of big trees is really an asset to any main boulevard. What do you think? What do you prefer, a 120-year-old tree or a handy car park? <laughs> well, both. Um, I mean, I, I do like the boulevards, and, and there's a lot of, as you say, a lot of provincial towns and, and cities that have got them, uh, and it does uh, have a nice ambience about the streets that, you, that you're going down. Um, but I also think it's wonderful that we've at least got one council in the country who is putting more car parks in instead of places like Wellington where they see them as, as leprosy and, and they want to get rid of car parks as many as they what can a for ridicu- any... What a ridiculous... Any- what an offensive thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just honestly, Connor English, you've outdone yeah. yourself. So, I've, first, I think... Your, first, your Te Reo Māori pronunciation and now this. Now, now we... Honestly. I think we should. I think we should get the Levin Council to come and run Wellington. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll make the world a better place. All right. Um, do you do you, do you uh, agree with Connor English's horror horror point of view? No, I'm serious. What is it? What a silly thing to say, honestly. I am. I have a lot of fury at Auckland Council for a lot of reasons, but uh, taking out car parks is not one of them. I want to keep the trees. I would much rather have an aesthetically beautiful town which actually gave something to the soul instead of feeling like you're walking constantly through a multi-story car park. Because yeah. I swear to God, that's what Auckland feels like sometimes. We have so many car parks. Frickin' everywhere. Don't make that face, Wallace. This city is a concrete bento box. It's just boxes and boxes and boxes of concrete. We need more trees. If we had historic trees in Auckland, I would be fighting to save them. I mean, to, to be fair, to be fair, they have done damage to the concrete. Leaves can be a hassle, but they are trees. Yeah. They're, they're emblems of nature. I mean, you've worked on a farm before, Connor. Come on. You know, you yeah. want to rip these out and put no, them in no, the car park. No, no, I don't want to rip the trees out. That's what I'm saying. I think we should keep the trees. Uh, I'm just, as a as an aside, saying isn't it great to have a council that, that isn't ripping out car parks all over the place? I think trees are wonderful. I totally agree with Verity. It, it, it is good for the soul. That's why I like going in, into the bush. Yeah. Otherwise so. you just go mad. I feel like when yeah. you're li- like living in urban centres, it's it, like calculated to make you go okay. insane. We tried to put in a bid, by the way. We, we did put in a bid with the council, by the way, but uh, they didn't get back to us. But look, if you are from Levin, and you are listening to the panel, you're part of the panel family, get in touch. What do you make of this issue? This is your wonderful town. Do you agree and endorse the the fact that some of these beautiful 120-year-old trees will be ground down to their stumps and turned into a car park? By the way, according to Smoke Free, between 2010 and 2018, the amount of tobacco smoke per person in this country decreased by 39%. So according to the 2018 census, the average adult now smokes an average of 586 cigarettes a year.